What's up, everybody? Welcome to Radically Normal. This is Andre. I'm here with Michael, and we're about to have an interview with Pastor Tommy Nelson. Yeah, I'm so excited to get on with him. He's just a brilliant man. I've heard a lot of his preaching, and I'm excited to pick his brain. I'm sure he'll have lots to share. Yeah, I th- we should ask him about Nehemiah, honestly. Let's see if he has anything we, anything to say about that. Uh, we did like listen to his sermons about Nehemiah before we started the podcast and all. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have lots to add. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this interview. Hi, everyone. We're here with Pastor Tommy Nelson from Denton Bible Church, and we're going to pick his brain. He's a lot wiser than us, and he'll have lots to share with us, I'm sure. But first, first Pastor, uh, would you just like to introduce yourself? Well, I am from Waco, Texas, and um, came to school to North Texas State in 1969, and uh, was a football player, and uh, football kind of Anything that you rest in that is other than God will give way on you. And it gave way on me. And my junior year, I was converted. And uh, Campus Crusade got a hold of me and taught me. And then uh, I became a Methodist college director in 1974. Then I uh, went to Dallas Seminary and helped start Denton Bible Church. And I've been at Denton Bible now for... Gosh, since 1977, so that's a while. Wow, that's an amazing course of ministry you've had there. Yeah, I've got a wife, two boys. Uh, one is in Secret Service, one is in the uh, Fort Worth Police Department, and I got six grandkids. Wow, that's that's super inspirational. And you know, when Michael and I first started thinking of making the podcast, and we kind of decided on Nehemiah, and we were pointed to some of your old sermons on Nehemiah, and we, we really enjoyed those. But do you have any like words of wisdom on the book of Nehemiah uh, for listeners who've been kind of going along with us since uh, the beginning of the podcast? You know, I think that um, the, the key Nehemiah is really the first chapter. Uh, Nehemiah never really plans to be what he was and to do what he did. You see Nehemiah faithful in the area God had given him. He was a uh, cupbearer. And he said, if it pleases the king and if I found favor in your sight, he couldn't have done anything if he hadn't have been a good laborer where he was. And uh, his heart was broken by the things that break the heart of God. When he asked about how is Jerusalem doing, And they told him, and he wept, and he prayed. And then he quoted scripture that God in Deuteronomy 30 had said, if you'll turn to me, I'll gather you from wherever you are. And he availed himself of that promise. And then he asked for, he confessed the sin of the people and the sin of himself, that they deserved what they got. And then he just said, God, uh, you grant me compassion in the sight of this man. Because he in no way could have volunteered to go do what he did. But he let the king know that if I have been pleasing in your sight, then God, you open a door. And so uh, Nehemiah had this great foundation to his life. He knew his Bible. He could quote his Bible. Uh, He had obeyed his Bible. 
He had been faithful where he was to be, and his heart uh, was the heart of an exile. Even though he was famous in in Persia, uh, he had the heart of a uh, of a Joseph, the heart of an exile. And so he just said, God, grant me favor in the sight of this man. Grant me compassion. And God opened a door. And then he did all that he did. And so that's really where great works begin. It's not that somebody sits down and really, you know, gets creative on what he wants to do. It's somebody that's heart is broken. And that's the pot out of which... uh, great uh, plants grow is that kind of heart uh, the followers of jesus were first followers at least four of them of john the baptist and so they had the heart of great men and that's who god who christ took his men from and so i would say to to all young guys if you're a man of the book a man of obedience a man of integrity God is going to open doors for you. I have never, ever struggled in my Christian life with God's direction. Uh, My entire life is committed to a relationship, to know God. The Bible says of Ezra, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach its statutes in Israel. And so he had a passion for those returning Jews that didn't know anything about their Bibles, that he would teach them to them. And God opened doors for him. And so I don't really struggle with God's will for my life. What I struggle with is God's will of being faithful where I am. And the guys that I have watched and the girls that end up disasters in ministry, it's not because of the ministry and of the gifts and of their, uh, their planning, it's a heart. Your heart has to be there. And so that's the lesson of Nehemiah. He's a man who stumbled into greatness because God blessed his heart. Remember that, and God will use you for great things. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. So it's obvious that over the course of your ministry, you've been able to think deeply about the Bible and been able to teach it super well. So why... For the question that I'm about to ask, maybe expand a little on why this might be important, but how should college students and young adults begin to think deeply and theologically about their faith? Where would you well, point them? That's where I started. I started as a college student. And uh, what I had to I, I came to Christ at the end of the 60s and the 70s. And... Uh, The 60s had eddied out. You know what I mean when I say eddy? Whenever a brook or a river uh, dissipates, we say that it eddies out. It just becomes swamp. The 60s were science and philosophy had eddied out. They failed. Uh, Philosophy failed in existentialism. Science failed in social Darwinism. Politics had failed in communism. Capitalism had failed in our personal peace and fluency of the 60s. Drugs had failed. Sex had failed. 
the Beatles failed, the Doors had failed, <laughs> Janet Joplin had failed, Jimi Hendrix had failed, everybody was overdosed and dead. Uh, uh, Vietnam had failed, the prote protesters had failed. Uh, civil rights had failed trying to patch racism without God, like we're trying to do today, trying to find morality without God. It had failed. And so you start building a great relationship with God by the recognition that everything else has failed. You can't have confidence in anything else. Uh, I keep my library as a reference place, not as a source of wisdom. Uh, only the Bible is the complete source of wisdom. And so that's where you start is in desperation. It's like manna. That if you don't get up every day and if you don't get out there early, you're going to die. And you have to have that relationship to your Bible that all civilization will eddy out without this book. And so I started uh, reading. And I, what I would say is you want to start with reading your Bible. Don't worry about studying it. Read it. The Bible is a novel. And it goes from in the beginning, and you see the it go all the way till the end of the Bible that says they shall reign forever. Revelation 22, 5. Beginning forever. Alpha Omega. It's a story of the anticipation of Christ. That's the Old Testament. The manifestation of Christ. That's the Gospels. The proclamation of Christ. That's the book of Acts. The explanation of Christ, that's the letters. And the consummation of Christ, that's the book of Revelation. And so the Bible is a story, and you've got to know that story. If somebody talks about the daughters of Zelophehad, you got to know what they're talking about. That is the book of Numbers. If somebody talks about Habakkuk, you've got to know what Habakkuk is about. Wait, is the... Uh, is the daughter's story the one where they came to the elders and they basically felt like they didn't have a full view of the teaching of the law? Uh, no. That was the daughters of a man that said, uh, our daddy died and we didn't have any brothers. And because of that, we're going to lose our inheritance. And that's not right just because we're women. And... Moses went to God and God said, they're right. Uh, if a man doesn't have sons, he, the family doesn't lose the inheritance. It goes to the daughters. And so that's kind of your early women's rights text in your Bible. And so uh, you've got to be able to palm your Bible. That if you say any book of the Bible, you've got to know what that book is about. And you get that by chugging your Bible like beer. Forget I ever said that, but you want to take beer. You throw it back. You don't sip your Bible when you start reading it. You read Genesis on a weekend. You read Exodus the next week. You read Leviticus uh, in three days. You got to chug it to where you have a familiarity with every single book of your Bible. I read my Bible through every year, and I've done that since 1974. 
Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So what I do is I take a, a, a V5 Pilot Roller Point pen, and uh, I read it with a credit card and make notes as I go. And so every year I make my own commentary. And then I give my Bible away to a friend or a nephew, and then I start on a brand new Bible. And I've done that since Gerald Ford was president. And so the Bible has percolated through me uh, almost 50 times. And then what I did was I memorized the book of Romans through the book of Jude. And I took those books and I memorized them and I ran all of my Bible through the teaching mechanism of the epistles. All the Bible funnels down into the epistles that explain all that went before and all that will come. And so every year I read my Bible through, give it away and do it again. And so there's no place in the Bible that you can speak to me about. For instance, in judgment coming, but God hiding his people. That's the prophet Zephaniah. Now, when you run into Zephaniah in heaven and he tells you, how did you like my book? What do you think? <laughs> Uh, if you want to study about um, God's using evil for his good purposes, that's the book of Habakkuk. That means the big squeeze. Habakkuk means to embrace and God holds you. Um, if you want to study about uh, the reform of the messengers of God, you read the book of the messenger, Malachi, and he gets the priest thinking right. And so you've got it. These books of the Bible have to be your best friends. When you say Leviticus, you got to know about uh, sacrifices and feasts and moral conduct and the shadows of the law. Uh, you've got to you've got to be best friends with all of your Bible. They're like the mighty men, and you got to be best friends. And the only way you do that is by familiarity. Every morning, me and God are in the Word. Every evening, me and God are in the Word. Mornings and evenings. I always spend that time with God. The afternoons, I'll prepare for my job, my study. But the Bible is always fresh to me. It's my best friend. And that's the way you learn your Bible is by familiarity. You can't just take little spit baths in Philippians, you know, <laughs> and, and open your Bible and read it somewhere. You have to be purposeful. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and then to practice it. You can't peddle on applied truth and then to teach the statutes in Israel. Israel was a recovering nation. Zerubbabel had 60 years prior brought back 50,000 people, but they didn't know anything. They had been separated from the Bible. As a matter of fact, it is believed that Ezra invented the synagogue that was the preface of the, the local church where people came together and kept their identity. And so Ezra, who was in Persia, he just said, my Jewish brothers don't know, uh, they don't know Leviticus from Reader's Digest, and I've <laughs> got to teach them. So this, this young man took upon himself 
I'm going to go back to Israel with a bunch of people that have lost their way. And I am going to reform an entire nation. Uh, I can't thank Michael Jason of anything better than doing that for a young stud like yourself. I got socks older than you. All right. <laughs> if I was your age, I think your generation, if you threw it in a pond, you could skim ignorance off of it for about a week. Your generation doesn't know the stories. When I was converted, I knew the stories. I knew the Apostles' Creed. I knew the hymns because my generation was raised in Protestantism or Catholicism. Uh, after my generation, the stories are lost. If I talk to young guys today and talk about Joseph, they don't know who I'm talking about. If I talk about Daniel, they don't know. If I talk about uh, the coat of many colors, if I talk about the lion's den, they're not sure what I'm talking about. They think the lion's den is a bar, all right? <laughs> I've got to explain that to them. And so if I was a young guy, I would set my heart to study, to teach, and or to study, to obey, and to teach. And I would take the next generation and pour it into them. Back in the uh, 1700s, in uh, Nishimini River in New Jersey, there was a man named William Tennant, and he looked at the next generation of uh, colonialists that had raised up prior to the revolution and saw that the Puritan dream had been lost. The next generation didn't know their Bibles. He didn't want to send them back to England to Anglicanism, and he didn't want to send them to Harvard that had gone deist. And so he took 18 young boys and put into the next generation the Bible. And it was called the Log College of the Neshimony River. You know what they call that place today? It's called Princeton. Wow. And he built it into the greatest Protestant institution in American history that turned out uh, the Archibald Alexanders and then Charles Hodge and then B.B. Warfield and then Gresham Machen and Van Till. That started with one guy who said, these kids are stupid and I'm going to fix them. And so if I was a young stud like yourselves, what I would do is I would lead a reformation. I would learn my Bible and I would find guys dumber than me, and I would teach them the Bible. I'd teach them the great story of the Bible, and I would make my living doing that. You dig? Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that uh, Hodge and Van Til came from there, but that's, that's actually really interesting. I didn't know the history with Princeton there. Princeton all came out of the Log College of William Tennant. One of the guys wow. was his son, Gilbert Tennant, and he just taught them all. That's super interesting. So what would you say is like your favorite book of the Bible to read, study yourself, or maybe to teach to others? They could be different. Uh, you know, I don't, to me, the Bible is one book with a lot of chapters. So it's like the best chapter of Lonesome Dove, you know. If y'all <laughs> ever read Lonesome Dove, go read Lonesome Dove. And so all the Bible is precious to me, however... When I take young guns 
I've been training guys since 1980s. And when I take guys and bring them in and teach them through the year, I teach them Genesis. I teach them Matthew. I teach them Romans. And I teach them Revelation. Beginning, climax, explanation, and consummation. And so I teach them the purposes of God and his promises in Christ, Paul's explanation of it in Romans, and then its fulfillment in Revelation. So those are the four books that I think if you don't know them, you're in trouble. You got to know those four books. And today they have got helps that are stupendous. Uh, the Thomas Nelson study Bible, no relation to me, put out by Zondervan, John MacArthur study Bible, Ryrie study Bible. Uh, what else is there, Joe? Swindoll, Tony Evans. Swindoll, Tony Evans. They have got study Bibles today. Gene Getz has a study Bible with one of them computer looking deals, you know, like you got at Kroger's and uh, you go beep and it talks to you. <laughs> All right. A QR, what's that? QR code. QR code. All right. So they have got helps today that are ridiculous. You can take a MacArthur or Zondervan study Bible. A Thomas Nelson study Bible in a year is worth three years of seminary. No seminarian can reproduce a Zondervan study Bible. It took 40 scholars years to produce that Bible. I wear one out every couple of years. Uh, and so the Ryrie study, I wear it out. So there's no excuse for a young guy being stupid today. What you got to do, though, is you got to be purposeful. I will study my Bible. I will keep it and I will teach it. And you've got to like, uh, what does it say? Uh, study to show yourself approved a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. you got to make the effort, spedao, meaning diligence. you got to be diligent to uh, present yourself as a workman of your Bible and to say, I'm going to master the book. And then I'm going to master life. And then I'm going to master other men. And if you'll start early, uh, you can do what no one else can do. No matter what your job is in. Michael, what's your uh, major in in Oklahoma? My major is economics, and I'm going to go to law school. Okay. Now, once you get to be a lawyer... There's going to be 50 million lawyers trying to get your job, all right? They're going to come out after you. That's why today in science, they don't use white rats. They use lawyers. Do you know that? <laughs> and they do that because, number one, there's more lawyers than white rats. Number two, you don't get attached to a lawyer. And number three, there are some things that a white rat just won't do. And so you need to realize there are a million lawyers. But guys who know the Bible, there's not many. 
when you know your Bible, obey your Bible, and teach your Bible, no one can do that. Would you agree with me, Michael? Oh, I totally agree with you, sir. There's going to be a million lawyers come out. Guys that can handle the Bible among the graduating law class will be zero right there. You got to master it. What's going to be your major, Jason? Uh, it's Andre. Um, my major is chemical engineering. You're pretty smart. You're going to have a job. Yeah. But you know what? How many does the chemical engineers get turned out every year? I have no I don't think it's a high number, but I have no idea. I think my school has about 300 a year. Are they going to want your job? Is there going to be somebody behind you to take your job? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you bet there are. You master your Bible. Go to a city. If somebody tells me I go, I live in Dallas, where can I go to get to a church that does Bible exposition and will teach me the word and then sift it together with systematic theology and then compare it to the generation out there as to the errors and worldview and then show me what is to come, I'll show you maybe three churches in a city of how many men? Millions are in Dallas, Joe. Five million people. I'll show you three churches. And so you be a master of the book and then sweep it together in systematic theology. God, Christ, Holy Spirit, man, sin, salvation, the Bible, Satan and the angelic realm and the return of Christ. You put that all together into a unit and then study your church history, which is the proving ground of truth and error. You go get, who's the guy I always have y'all read? Uh, I can see his book. Uh, Bruce Shelley. Yes. You go get Bruce Shelley. Plain talk on church history. I've read him five times. Master him. Uh, go get Charles Ryrie's systematic theology. Uh, go get Bruce Shelley and then go read everything that Francis Schaeffer wrote. You ever read Francis Schaeffer? I haven't, but I was I was actually liking what you were talking about church history. The last year or two, I've spent a lot of time reading Calvin's Institutes and Augustine. Oh, read Calvin's Institutes, and then take it and see where modern man got to where modern man got. Go, you want to master not philosophy, but the flow of philosophy. Philosophy is called stupid human tricks. Okay? <laughs> How does man without God figure out reality? That's philosophy. And that's why you don't study one philosopher. You study them like Velcro. This guy will make his assertions and, and then he'll fall apart. This guy will take it and a new one. This guy will take it. This guy will take it until you get to existentialism where we said there is no truth. You invent your own truth. And now you go mad. And so you start with the pre-Socratic Greeks, Thales, and go all the way to John Paul Sartre and Nietzsche when you go mad and then you kill everybody in Europe. Okay. 
and you see how man, how man screwed it up and how all of the philosophers will dictate the arts, politics, the military, and economics. And then you hold your Bible up next to it, and you are what is called intelligent. You'll meet a lot of smart guys in history. You may meet three intelligent people and that can integrate philosophy, history, the arts, literature, and bring it together and correctly assay history. The Bible says knowledge is easy to him who has understanding. But why is there a price in the hand of a fool to find knowledge? You can't buy understanding. You can only get it by the Bible. And so if you'll know your Bible, theology, history, and the flow of philosophy, you are now intelligent. And guys will walk 100 miles to know what you think. And then make sure you don't marry an idiot. <laughs> That's the hope. Undo everything. And do not wake up with a strange woman in your bed, Samson, because now we undo everything that you have learned. You married yet, Michael? I'm not. Don't screw up. <laughs> I'm not married either. Don't screw up. All right. So pick your master, pick your mate, pick your mission. You're ready to go. That's well, all life is. Well, that's awesome. So going off of how you how you were talking about before, if you're discipling guys and you're going Genesis, Matthew, Romans, Revelation, if you had if you had a month or a year or however long to teach someone or teach your church just the storyline of scripture, but you could only use seven books, which seven would you use? Meaning books in the Bible? Books of the Bible. Books of the Bible. Yeah, you would definitely do Genesis. Uh, I would do Exodus to show them law then I would do numbers to show Israel's failure at law. And then I would do Samuel to show the introduction of the monarchy to try to fix the nation. And then I would go to Matthew to look at the solution of Jesus. And then I would do Romans to show the proper interpretation of the law and of Jesus. And then I would do Revelation to show how it will end. That's what I would do. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Samuel, Matthew, Romans, Revelation, and you would be wise and civilized by the time I finish. <laughs> That's so good. I actually compiled a list myself of seven that I would probably use beforehand, and it's actually interesting how similar they are. But there's I only one difference, right? There's yeah, there's only one difference with the list we came up with. There's only one difference. So we came up yeah. with Samuel. We had I picked Samuel. We had Genesis, Exodus, Samuel. Isaiah, 
John, Romans, and Revelation. So John, kind of a difference, but still yeah. a gospel account. You're good. You're good. But we took you're, Isaiah. You're right on track. You're right on track. I like Matthew because Matthew shows the kingdom program. Uh, Matthew, the kingdom is offered by Jesus. It is rejected by the nation of Israel. In chapter 13 through 20, it is now postponed in the church. And then in Matthew 24, prophetically, it is the return of Christ to establish his kingdom. So the kingdom is offered, rejected, postponed, and returning. So I like Matthew as your basic gospel. Okay, that's really interesting. And then I think besides that, it was just you had numbers and I had Isaiah, just because I like the... There's the pre-exilic part, post-exilic, point to the suffering servant. So I really liked Isaiah for that, too. Yeah, Isaiah is the gospel of Isaiah. For sure. It's a really good book. And I think Isaiah was actually, it wasn't the first book I ever read in the Bible, but it was the first book where I sat down and just like studied it as hard as I could, and I just loved it, and I've loved it ever since. Yeah, I have never recovered from Isaiah. <laughs> That's really good. Every time, more than any other book, when I pick up Isaiah, no one can know Isaiah. Because it's the entire Bible, 66 chapters, 66 books, Uh, 39 chapters of judgment, 27 chapters of grace, just like Old and New Testament, ending in the kingdom of God. And so I have never recovered from Isaiah. Every time I read it, I find myself in a hundred feet of water. And just, just worshiping my way through the book. That is Isaiah. It's such a good book. I actually have kind of a personal interest theological question, if you don't mind. What do you think okay. about the... It's kind of getting maybe shut down a little bit more today, but what do you think about some of the arguments surrounding the whole Deutero-Isaiah and like after chapter 40 it being separate and all of that? Uh, that, that stuff was brought up really in the early 1900s in in, um, form criticism and source criticism that came out of Germany. Uh, Billy Sunday, the evangelist in his day, he said, if you took hell and turned it upside down, it would say made in Germany. (laughs) All of that stuff came out of Germany that basically was non-Christians commenting on the Bible. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. That is why Charles Hodge in the early, in the mid 1800s left America for, uh, I think he was going to leave for three years or two years to go to Germany and study because all of that stuff was coming out in his day. Uh, liberalism like Catholics and Protestants differ on what the inerrant Bible says theological liberalism differs on is the Bible reliable not what the reliable Bible is interpreted but is the Bible reliable and so uh, Charles Hodge went over to Germany to see this nuance that was coming out of Germany, all right, that was all following after Hegel. 
uh, Hegel with his thesis, uh, antithesis, synthesis, that ideals are evolving and thus the Bible is an evolving idea of God, J-E-D-P, okay? And so Charles Hodge went over to study this new heresy, and he came back after a year. Uh, and when he left, Archibald Alexander said to him, Charles, the air you breathe is poisoned. Be careful. Hodge came back in a year and said, there's nothing there. It's vapid. It's empty. It's futile. And that's the way I feel about liberal theology. Liberal theology will take you to the Holocaust. And that's what it did. Uh, it's interesting that the worst horror of the 20th century came out of the source of theological liberalism, Germany. And so... Uh, I don't bother with them. Uh, I've heard, heard their stuff. I've looked at their stuff. And it is all passe. It came and went. The only place that is kept today are in theological seminaries that have consumed themselves. Union Theological Seminary has a service now where the students come before potted plants and confess their sins against the ecology. Oh, boy. <laughs> what? Ain't that brilliant? <laughs> and so you basically got seminaries of, of sodomites and egalitarians telling us about a holy God. So I don't worry about that stuff. I tell them, they said to Spurgeon, how do you defend the Bible? He said, I don't. I would sooner defend the lion. And so the Bible will speak for itself. That's really good. Do you have anything else? I don't have anything else unless you have any other wisdom, theology, ideas to share. And if not, go get a guy named Luke L-U-C Ferry. He's a Frenchman. Luke Luke Ferry? He wrote a book called A Brief History of Thought. He's a non-Christian, and you can't tell if he's a Christian or not while you're reading. At the end of the book, you find out that he's insane. But it's a really good read on the history of thought. Then go get a guy named Richard Tarnas, T-A-R-N-A-S. And he has a book that is called The Passion of the Western Mind. And you can't tell if he's a Christian or not till you get to the last chapter. And he is a Carl Jungian uh, devotee, and he also is insane. But he's a really good read. Uh, and you see the devolution of thought. Luke Ferry makes the comment in his book that the ultimate system of thought is Christianity, of an infinite personal triune creator who gives rise to existence, order, and rationality and morality in his very nature as a triune God, who makes himself known through the Bible that coordinates through history and is falsifiable, that culminates in the incarnation, justification by faith, and a resurrection and a kingdom and world without end. 
And he said, that is the perfect philosophic system. And then he says, if only I could believe it. Wow. What an ending. Go read A Brief History of Thought and Richard Tarnas on the Passion of the Western Mind. Uh, Recognize that they're both insane. And by the time they get to the end, they're insane. But it's a good read. Then read Bruce Shelley. Read him till the cover falls off the book. All right? (laughs) As Spurgeon said, when you are cut, you need to bleed Bible. Get to where you can't think independently from the Bible. And you will be a wise man. Make sure that you have one addictive substance. Use coffee, all right? <laughs> or Make sure every day you do something physical. Stay in shape. Uh, I'm 70. I benched 270 a couple of months ago. Michael, can you bench 270? I cannot bench 270, but I think I could do about 250. That a boy. Always stay strong. Always stay in shape. Always read. And every day do something that you love. I garden. I read. I lift weights. I used to run. Now I have to walk. Uh, And make sure that at the end of your life, your last check bounces. Give it all away. Let your kids have it and make a good looking corpse. <laughs> that's really good. That's that's a lot of really good wisdom there. And I know Mike and I have just been feeling like we needed to have pen and paper to take notes just talking to and you. Don't marry an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Yeah. I the, want the good- remember. God said to Adam in the Garden of Eden, I'm going to give you a brain, and I'm going to give you a penis, and I'm going to give you enough blood to run one of them. (laughs) When you get sexually active, you ain't thinking no more. Make sure your blood stays in your head. Are you with me, Michael? I'm with you, sir. You with me, Jason? I'm with you, sir. (laughs) Don't get stupid, all right? That sounds good. Like Andre said, it was we just needed a pen and paper to keep notes, and you had just so much to share and definitely encouraged us. Andre, this is Andre, not Jason. That ain't Andre. That's Jason. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. What are you, Andre? I see some Mediterranean in you. What are you? No, I'm. My dad's from Colombia, and my mom's from Paraguay. So South American. Paraguay. Yes, sir. I know no one from Paraguay. Now you know one. <laughs> My favorite country is Uruguay. Uh, I just love to say it. It's, it's very Uruguay. close. Where are you from? Uruguay. <laughs> well, I knew you had some Mediterranean in you. What is, uh, what's your last name, Michael? Beatrice. My dad's side is what from is Lebanon. It? What? You're Lebanese? A little bit, a little bit, not not a ton. Hey, y'all are a couple of foreigners. 
<laughs> well, I have never been to Lebanon, though I'd love to go to the Middle East someday. Yeah, are y'all both born in Texas? Yes, I was. Yes. Yes, sir. Good. Never stray far from Texas. Oh, it's a great state. Yeah, it is we a great are state. A superior state. We are a superior people. <laughs> That's so funny you say that. When you're Texan and born in Texas, you can sign the San Jacinto Monument. Do you know that? I didn't know that. Nobody else can. Only a Texan. I got a buddy whose child was born in Little Rock. And before his wife gave birth, he took a sack of dirt from College Station, put it under his wife's butt, and she gave birth on Texas soil. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so good. Speaking of Texas, do you have any church recommendations for Houston? I'm actually going to be in Houston for the next six-ish months. Uh, I, you know, I don't get to Houston. You got to be going to Houston to get to Houston. My man, Joe Calpy can tell you, where would you go to church? My family's at Second Baptist. Second Baptist, which is big as like Mesquite. Okay. Grace Presbyterian. Redeemer Community Church. Yeah. Where's Andre going to be? Andre, where are you going to be, Joe says? What part of town? Uh, I'm going to be in Baytown. Baytown. I can get, I can get to a church. My man, Joe Calfee, is going to give <laughs> you the name of a church. Th- thank you so much. <laughs> Where you can go to is First Paraguay Redeemer Fellowship. (laughs) All Paraguay guys. (laughs) That's so good. That's so funny. What's that? Is he going to work at the Exxon refinery? Are you going to work at the Exxon refinery? Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! I'm an Exxon family man. My dad's first house, Baytown Refinery in 1959. You know any Paraguayans that are there? No. You know what? Is it the Paraguay guys that are always riding around on the llamas and the alpacas and stuff? No, that's that's not Paraguay. They're riding on horses down there. <laughs> oh, baby. All right. I think where – I don't know where that is. Peru, maybe? I don't know. All right, y'all. I got to go get something to eat. We'll see you. Man, that was so funny. He was done talking – he said, good to be on with you guys, and he just got up and walked out. <laughs> yeah, with all that talk of benching 270, he probably needed that get that food inside of him. Yeah, for sure. He's super strong. Yeah, 70 years old, benching 270, up my game, bro. Yeah, for sure. I do, I do as well, but for now, I'm stuck below him. That was a really good interview, though. I'm definitely going to buy the book by Ferry he talked about, by Tarnas, Shelley. He just had so much wisdom to share, and I really liked what he talked. It just felt like he knew the Bible, talking about Zephaniah and talking about numbers like Habakkuk. He just knew the scripture, and you could just tell on how he lives his life, spending time day and night. Yeah, he's he just was super smart, just someone to look up to for sure. What was that about him calling me Jason for half the interview, though? That was so funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the Jason came from, but every time he, he said Jason, I was just cracking up. Yeah, and then you'd be like, yeah, Andre. And then at the end, he was like, wait, who's Andre? <laughs> what a funny guy. Yeah, he was really funny. Lots of wisdom, lots of laughter. I was kind of questioning when he told me uh, 
know about what I was saying about the daughters of Zelophehad and Numbers because the reason they came to Moses to question the inheritance thing was because the inheritance the inheritance had been taken away from them. So essentially there was a inaccurate view of the the law, which is basically what I asked. But either way, he definitely knew way more about the Bible than both of us and it was just super good to have him on and just talking about, you know, read Genesis in, in a weekend, read Leviticus in three days and all that just I love spending time in the Bible every morning. I don't read it that fast, but just to soak your life in the scripture. That's really what I got out of all of that. Yeah, speaking of reading Genesis in three days. That's yep. kind of what we're doing. Yeah, we've we've actually been reading Genesis in three days, but that's not that's not the typical pace. <laughs> yeah. But thank you guys so much for tuning into the interview. We hope you guys got a lot out of it and maybe take some of his uh, recommendations on books or uh, study habits. But that's all we got. Yeah, thanks for tuning in to Radically Normal. We'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs>